Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. Welcome, everyone. On behalf of my co-host, Fran Gavin, and myself, Tim Fredericks, uh, welcome to another edition of Leadership Matters. And continuing along in our series of shows that are curated by our doctoral students, uh, this evening our show is curated by doctoral student Ed Labatch from the uh, Phillipsburg School District, and he has four very special uh, uh, guests in the studio this evening from Phillipsburg to talk about the all-important topic of literacy. So without further ado, Ed, I'm going to turn it over to you uh, to introduce our guests and to proceed. Hey, Dr. Fredericks. With us tonight, we have Dr. Maureen Kehoe, Assistant Superintendent of the Phillipsburg School District, Aubrey Pizzino, our third grade reading specialist at the Phillipsburg Elementary School, Mrs. Kristen DeGenis Garcia, the fourth grade reading specialist at the Phillipsburg Elementary School, and Mrs. Mary Kate Lear, fifth grade reading specialist at the Phillipsburg Elementary School. Um, the topics for our guests today will be discussing the challenges, strategies, and the learning experiences that our teaching staff and administrators have experienced during the virtual learning and how they provide those literacy interventions to the students, both in person and in a virtual climate. We'll start our questions off today talking with Dr. Kehoe. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mr. Labatch. Dr. Kehoe, can you take us through the evolution of the virtual learning in the Phillipsburg School District? Sure. Um, prior to the pandemic, we used a, a program called Edgenuity in our alternative ed program at the high school. It's called our solar program. Um, and that's a program that we aligned to our curriculum so that the students who were in the alternative ed program had an opportunity to do the same in the program as they were in the classes. Um, those students, many of them who cannot adapt to the regular school setting, some of those students would do the program at home, which was kind of like a virtual learning there. We also used the Edgenuity program uh, for credit recovery, although that was done in person within uh, the school setting. Um, so that's what we did prior to. Now, March 13th, when that came around and we realized that we weren't going to be in school any longer, um, only thinking that it was gonna be for two weeks and that we would be back in two weeks, but we know how that turned out. We sent work home with the students, whether it be their textbooks and things like that. After two weeks realizing that we probably weren't coming back for the rest of the year, that's when our focus kind of changed to what would a virtual learning environment look like. At the high school level prior to this, the Teachers were familiar with Google Classroom and had you know, put their assignments and things in Google Classroom. But I would say from our kindergarten through eighth grade uh, teachers, they really weren't familiar with Google Classroom. So a lot of uh, professional development had to occur. Um, from March through the end of the year, our uh, motto would be like, do no harm. We didn't want to harm the students for something that was occurring. Once the year ended, the school year last year ended, then our focus turned to all right, so how are we gonna make this better from the way it was from March to the end of June? So what we did was we held um, focus groups of the teachers, whoever wanted to come, and kind of get their feedback of uh, you know, what went well, what didn't go well, what could we do to uh, make it better in the future? And a lot of that uh, surround was about the professional development. What could we do for our teachers to give them the professional development that they needed in order to provide a learning environment in the virtual atmosphere. Um, so we offered PD over the summer for teachers who were willing to come. A lot of it dealt with technology, Google Classroom, um, 
Google Meets, anything that dealt with Google, because that was going to be the platform that we were going to use come September. And then um, once the school year started, we normally have two days of professional development before the school year. Uh, we increased it to four, so that that time was devoted for the teachers to truly get ready for what was to come the fall when school opened. Um, we were virtual for the whole month of September uh, through, I think, the first or second week in October. Um, so a lot of it was teacher collaboration, teachers working with each other, what's working, what's not working, getting a setup of how their computers would be so that they could deliver a virtual environment. Uh, prior to the uh, pandemic, our teachers had laptops that did not have cameras on. So we were fortunate enough to have the funds in order to buy our teachers new laptops that had cameras. Uh, we had them one-to-one -one with our students at the high school, and we also were one-to-one -one, uh, K through eight, but those students didn't carry their computers home like the high school students did. So we made sure that everybody had a computer to take home with them. And then, of course, the digital divide was a piece that we had to deal with. So through our CARES Act months, uh, my advice for the students who, anybody who requested that they didn't have internet access at home. I would say by the time the middle of October, the end of October came, everyone was pretty well set as far as um, the technology and the computers and what they needed to do in order to deliver virtual assets. Dr. Kehoe, um, great talking about the technology aspect and the way that we, the Phillips Park School District was able to evolve technologically. In alignment with the technology evolution, um, obviously each year districts have to work on their curriculum initiatives and school districts considered a larger K-12 district. Um, how exactly do you feel those challenges of, you know, the curriculum initiatives being delivered in that pandemic affected the way you perceived and moved forward to the literacy initiatives going into this year? Um, well, of course, you always have goals that you want to accomplish as you get to the year. Um, and we have, a, you know, we're a district of poverty. We have a lot of students who are below grade level. So working with our directors, whether it be the math director or our ELA director at the elementary level, they really did a nice job of researching different um, interventions that we could use for our student and actually uh, introduced two inter new interventions. One, I read for grades one to two, and then do the math now for math for grades three, four, five. Um, so we looked at the data, we determined, you know, where our students were, who might need um, the intervention and how we could deliver to that to the students, whether they be in person or virtually. Um, our schedule is such that we're doing a hybrid model for those students who choose to attend school, A days and B days, um, and those who are virtual, uh, Within some of our schools, they have a virtual teacher, others are doing synchronous learning, but in the afternoon gives us the opportunity to work in small groups with our students because we only go to school a half day for those that are in person. And then in the afternoon, uh, the teachers are able to meet in small groups with students virtually and work with them on their interventions or whatever their needs may be. Um, it'll be interesting to see at the end of this year where our students fall and what we're going to do moving forward next year. I'm going to switch gears here to talk to uh, Mrs. Pizzino, um, our third grade reading specialist. Mrs. Pizzino, can you take us through some of the challenges you face in the third grade providing um, the interventions that Dr. Kehoe has spoken about in regards to virtual and also in, the in a hybrid classroom? Sure, of course. So we do utilize two main 
reading interventions at the third grade level. They are primarily decoding power and system 44. System 44 is our main component that we're using. And obviously most of those were administered in person for as long as we've been teaching. So really one of the challenges for us was not only converting those to a digital resource, but also giving students the opportunity to practice that technology. I mean, third graders in general just didn't even know how to use Google Classroom, let alone Kami and all the other technology pieces that we're using. So that for them, we actually had many tears just trying to get into the technology, let alone, you know, using the interventions. We also would like ask our students to complete the online software component in the afternoons, because then that way we could use that entire time that we're in the classroom, which is only a half day at this point, to really focus in on those interventions in our core instruction, but the students were not really completing that in their off time. So unfortunately, we do use our in-school time for that 20 minutes of the software, which is not what we had preferred to do, but it's a really important component of the intervention and it was necessary. So we kind of just moved our schedules around to try and also get that in. And like Dr. Kiha said, we are using, I read actually at the third grade level. I have six students right now who did not qualify for Barton because they tested uh, above the max number wrong. So just incorporating that brand new intervention as well has been a little bit challenging trying to figure out on my end and on their end how to incorporate all three of those or even just the two main ones into our daily routine has been challenging. But I think we're in a kind of in a system now where we can figure out how we're going to spend our day. Dennis Garcia, when we look at the transition from that third grade learning environment where the end of the third grade ended up on a full virtual year, as Dr. Kehoe said, you know, just don't do, do no harm and the students basically trying to worry about them and their well-being. How do you, how did that translate for you moving into fourth grade with the interventions and the goals and objectives of you, you know, providing your literacy interventions in the fourth grade? Well, yeah, last year just kind of really hit us unexpectedly. And like Dr. Keogh said, we created all those paper packets, got all of that out, and then kind of realized that things were worse than we thought they were and, and students wouldn't be returning at that time. So at that point, as I was a fourth grade teacher at the end of the year, uh, we were really just focusing on the social emotional learning and just making sure that our students' needs were met in that case and also checking in with parents and you know making sure that they were okay at home and you know seeing how they were do, doing reaching out to them seeing if we can provide them advice or resources that they needed at that point um, and again like that was our full so our sole fo focus of course we tried to you know push the standards by assigning things but most of the time when we were google meeting with our students we were just trying to you know, do things for the social emotional aspect of it. And then as we started the next school year, obviously our gears had to shift. So yes, we were still focusing on the social emotional learning as that was a critical piece for our students because times were still scary. 
But now we also had to make sure that we were getting in our academics, making sure that we were doing these interventions, especially because with the way the last three months of our previous school year ended, we definitely had deficits and gaps in our learning that we had to try and close. And like Dr. Keo said, a lot of the students that we're working with are already behind grade level. So that last three months of the previous school year, you know, the gaps just continue to grow. Um, so as we came back, in addition to focusing on that social emotional learning, getting back to using our Google Meets to make sure, you know, we're running lessons as close to as we would have in a regular learning environment, doing our whole group lessons, breaking off into small group rotations with the teachers that are in the room on the computer. And it was a little rough at first, but after a few weeks, kids really understood, you know, how to transition between small group to small group with different teachers. And then allotting a lot of that afternoon time to make sure that we were getting in those intervention pieces. And since a lot of the intervention is really one-on-one -on -one work with the teacher and student, um, we made sure to use that afternoon time to schedule individual sessions with students to make sure we were reteaching the different skills that they needed to meet each of our individual students' needs. Dr. Kehoe, um, Mrs. Janice Garcia spoke on a social emotional learning. Um, a big priority in the district is, you know, continuing to keep that social emotional learning going into this year and moving forward. Um, what types of things does the, uh, the your Phillipsburg school district to promote social emotional learning and assist the teachers? We have K through five. We have. Um, K through eight, actually, we have some programs that we use um, are focused on K through five or K through two is responsive classroom. And each day the students or the teachers start with the students in a morning meeting where they can kind of gauge where the um, students are for that day. And a lot of the literacy that they do with the students focuses on social emotional. They can really integrate that within the literacy program. Uh, three through five, we use Leader Me, um, and then uh, six through eight, they use the program called uh, Step Up. But one of the things ending this year and then going into the summer and the beginning of next year that we really feel is important is to develop a mental health plan, um, not knowing what September will bring, but knowing that some of these students have not been with us since last March, we really feel there's going to be a greater need to ensure that our students' mental health, not only the students, but also the teachers' mental health um, is taken care of. We, we think that's a, a real priority uh, in order to do that. Thank you. And the integration of the, the initiative of One State Liners, One Story, that kind of brings everybody together, kind of gives the K through five who you know work on those stories, a sense of belonging, a sense of community. Can you just take me through briefly about how the one state liner, one story has, you know, had a positive influence on your school community? Sure. So one state liner story is where you pick a book for, um, we did it last year. We started with grades three through five. That was our first thing. The whole school read the same book, as well as the teachers, the parents, the administration, and all the activities uh, were interdisciplinary, focusing on the book. So math was 
incorporated into it, science, social studies, literacy, of course. Um, we weren't able to do it with our K through two because the pandemic hit when we were going to do it. So next year, for the beginning of the year, we're actually gonna start the school year with K through five with Charlotte's Web. There's a lot of lessons in Charlotte's Web that we can focus on the social emotional, but we also think it'll be a, a lot of fun uh, doing that book with not just one building, but with our whole elementary building. Middle school also does one state liner story, which they will be doing again next year too. So it should be good to start the school year. Hopefully we're all back in person. Absolutely. That's a great initiative that the Phillipsburg School District has. And I know teachers and students alike have had positive feedbacks and experience with the one state liner, one story initiative. Um, Mrs. Lear, would you briefly talk about your experience with the one state liner, one story? Sure. Um, I can't really speak to this year because I was on maternity leave. However, I could speak to my past experiences. Um, talking about the state liner story, I felt as though it really added a sense of community to our school. No matter what um, level uh, the students were in, whether they were tier one, two, or three, um, we all were reading the same book. So it was, in a way, a sense of community. We all were um, on the same page. We were all having the same excitement reading the book. Uh, previous books that we've read, I know last year we read Poppy, which was a great book, and we were all able to join together and actually have a virtual meeting with the author, um, which was really exciting for the students. We also brought in different um, and Animals for the students to see. And it was just really neat to see throughout the grade levels that all of us were reading the same book. Also, if students had siblings within um, the same school, uh, they can go home and talk about the book and really celebrate reading, uh, not only in the classroom, but at home too. So this is probably a, a very good time for us to take a break. Um, and we will be right back on Leadership Matters. Uh, you're listening to WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. We will be right back. And welcome back to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. I'm Tim Fredrickson, with my co-host, Fran Gavin. And we welcome everybody to the show this evening. Doctoral students at Centenary College, Ed Labatch, who is a principal in the Phillipsburg School District, uh, has several uh, very, very special guests in the studio tonight talking about literacy instruction during COVID. So, Ed, I'll uh, turn it right back to you. Thank you, Dr. Fredericks. Um, Mrs. Pizzino, working on a hybrid schedule in the Phillipsburg School District for a good part of four or five months at this point in time, how do you prioritize the use of your time um, for the interventions? for in-person and virtual learning? Okay, so we've had little hiccups with this, particularly in our third grade classroom, especially if we are finding that students are not coming back to reteaching sessions in the afternoon. So in a lot of our classes, we've kind of split, and this is predominantly for third grade, we've split kind of our groups into four sections. Uh, mainly readers and non-readers. So the readers were working mainly at this point on comprehension skills more, still with the phonics segments added to it. And then our non-readers were focusing on our letter sounds, which we're almost through at this point, but then breaking those two groups into virtual and in-person learning. And that way we can really focus on each of those four groups as a whole at one time and spending a good 30 minutes with each of those groups so that they're getting exactly what they need. The students that are readers and are reading well are being challenged, whereas the students that 
need their letter sounds and that phonics space are getting exactly what they need as well. And we were finding that a lot of our afternoon students that were scheduled for one-on-one -on -one reteaching sometimes are not attending. So that kind of changes our pace during the classroom to kind of gear our instruction to those students and reteaching them within that small group while giving the other students something educational to work on that's kind of a repeat skill that we're working on so that we don't miss them because even though they're not always attending in the afternoon, we don't want them to slip through and we don't want them to miss those important reteaching lessons. So just kind of rescheduling everything based on who is present and who is not. And obviously some students are out, whether it's quarantining or they're switching from hybrid to virtual or vice versa, just really always being ready to change what you're doing based on who is there either in person or online. It's been challenging, but I think that we're able to really adapt quickly within our classrooms to meet the needs of everyone that is there with us. Thank you, Mrs. Pizzino. I'm gonna switch this over to Mrs. Mary-Kate Lear now. Um, you brought up before that you were out on maternity leave for the first start of the year, speaking of tough schedule. How, does, um, how do you prioritize your time and how did you adjust jumping into a virtual learning hybrid model from being off for a few months? And take us through that, you know, the difficult challenges you faced with that. Yeah, coming back, um, I came back in December. So the students and the teachers were already three months into, you know, their new life as virtual and hybrid learning. Um, so coming back and working with the students was definitely an adjustment. Having known a lot of the students for the past three years, um, it was pretty easy for me to jump back in. So in our fifth grade classes, I work in three different um, fifth grade classes. I would say that each of them are tier three, different tier three. So we do many different things within each of the classroom, incorporating intervention and core instruction. What we do in our classes is we do about 20 minute small group rotations, working with the hybrid students and the virtual students. Um, based on which of my tier three classes that I'm in, we do a combination of reteaching skills, modified core and read 180 the instruction during that um, during the time that is left in the morning block or with my other students uh, we do put the students on re 180 software and monitor them as they work I do work through some of the software with the students to better monitor and take notes on what I still need to reteach with them then in the afternoons um, we actually conduct one-on-one -on -one independent reading conferencing by using our great resource of RAS kids um, along with some small group reteaching lessons based on on the data collected from re 180 programs. So we're really still, you know, jumping into a lot of the intervention, tying in um, independent reading conferencing and working one-on-one -on -one with students so that we can really build their reading confidence. Um, so I would say that although jumping back in was definitely an adjustment, um, working with some really great teachers and students has been great and really easy for me to jump back in. Awesome, thank you very much. Mrs. Janice Garcia, can you take us through a little bit of the struggles that you go through and with the hybrid schedule, specifically because being in the middle of the pack here at the elementary school, you have third graders coming to you that you need to evaluate their data for and then specifically sending kids to fifth grade to Mrs. Lear to work with. How's it affected you being in the middle of the, the grade level there working with those teachers? Um, being in the middle, um, really having our title reading team has been crucial. 
um, to kind of my role as, as being in the middle between the third and the fifth grade when it comes to transferring all of that pertinent information from grade level to grade level. Thankfully, we're all very meticulous in our anecdotal note-taking throughout the year. So as students transition from one grade to the other, you know, first and foremost, we want to ensure that we're passing on all of that inter intervention data. Um, this data really lays out for us the different interventions each student partook in because sometimes they are engaged in multiple interventions throughout a year. It also really records for us the progress they made throughout each intervention, where they left off each intervention at the end of the year, and then that provides the next um, teacher going forward with a great starting point as you know, we kind of decide what intervention direction do we want to go? Do we think that, you know, from third to fourth grade, the intervention they ended off with is a place we want to continue? Or are we seeing needs change and we need to maybe move directions into a different intervention? Um, and in addition to that, you know, we just kind of keep all of their data progressions throughout the year, looking at school-wide benchmark assessments, looking at intervention benchmark assessments. I know the title team, we do a lot of running records on our students to just gain more specific reading data. And all of that is passed on um, throughout, you know, from one of us to the other next year. And then that really gives us a chance first as a title team to dive through the intervention data, dive through our students, and then that way we can each meet with our classroom teachers and collaborate more efficiently so that we really have a starting point on where we want to go. And not only data-wise, we also have a lot of firsthand knowledge on students' strengths and weaknesses, which I think is such a key data point to pass on to next year's educators. You know, we really want to build our students up, especially since we are working with students who are many years below where they should be. Um, so in the beginning of the year, you know, students are uncomfortable. It's a new classroom, new teacher, new situations with virtual learning. So knowing these students' strengths enables us to maybe give them something to work on where they can feel successful and then maybe allow some of their anxieties to fade, give us time to build rapport. And then we can really start tackling the academic areas that students struggle with and need more support in. So, you know, just in general, having these discussions, keeping these, you know, anecdotal notes, keeping all of this data in one place and passing that on has really been beneficial. And just developing the strong network of communication between grade levels and having this unified team approach of passing on the data has really been um, beneficial for students transitioning from grade level to grade level. Great, thank you, Kristen. Dr. Kehoe, we've heard a couple of your teachers talk about the collaborative and the team effort that goes on at their building. How as a central office administrator do you help or do we work and the ideas that you use to remove the barriers or challenges from the students, from the teachers, from the families? What types of steps do you take from a central office position to you know, help remove barriers and the struggles that are occurring? I think Kristen hit it right on the head right right before um, you jumped in there to say about the communication, because I truly believe communication through this whole, whole pandemic was key. Whether it was communication uh, with from the principals to the teachers, from central office to the teachers, from central office to uh, families, um, and I think being transparent as to, you know, listen, we've never been through this before. Nobody's been through this before. Everybody nationwide is in the same boat, 
Um, and, you know, we're, we're doing the best we can. I will tell you that our teachers have done a phenomenal job and have probably have never worked harder in their whole careers. Uh, one of the things we found out in the beginning of the year with parents is their knowledge of technology. You know, we were asking students to log on, to join a Google Meet. And remember, we're doing kindergarten, first, second grade. Well, they can't do it by themselves. So the parents' knowledge of the technology was not where it was needed in order to help their students. So uh, we offered some professional development at night for parents to uh, get on and learn how to help their child log on to get into Google Classroom, log on to a Google Meet. Um, you know, one of the things we found sometimes is that the students at the younger age, uh, the parents kind of were trying to do most of the work and not letting their child do it. So that was a barrier that um, I'm sure the teachers had to work with their parents to say, you know, we understand you want to help your child, but we really need them to, to kind of do it themselves. Um, also, the relationships that you have developed with the people with whom you're working, the people within the community, I think relationships is key when you're going through something like that that helps, um, you know, limit the barriers that are there because if you have relationships with people, you can, you know, talk to them, they'll listen. Um, and I think the technology as far as ensuring that everybody who needed access to Wi-Fi we were able to do that for them. I think that helped uh, eliminate uh, some of the barriers that were there. Um, one of the things I will say that for the teachers within the district, and for me personally, seeing going into these people's houses, which yes, we have the students in school and we maybe imagine what they're going on through at home, but actually seeing what's going on with some of our students within their houses and how they're, basically survive and I think it was eye-opening for uh, some people within the district and I think it'll give us a better perspective moving forward as to what some of our students are dealing with. Thank you Dr. Kehoe. For some barriers speaking specifically for teachers in general, um, Mrs. Pizzino talk to me a little bit about how social distancing, mat, the mask requirements and you know just the virtual learning has changed the way you approach the one one instruction that sometimes is really needed uh, to provide the interventions for your students. Sure. Um, for third grade, especially since um, I had spoken before about how we are doing a lot of phonics-based activities, phonemic awareness, and building those phonics lessons, with a mask on, it's kind of difficult. So earlier on, someone had suggested recording those portions of the lessons where you're using your mouth, you're showing them what the sounds look like and playing them back for them. And that has been super helpful for me. But even just on the teacher end, simple tasks like documenting. Um, I know Mrs. Garcia talked about how we take really extensive notes. And before, students would just turn papers into you and you would have that physical copy of how they were writing. And we are kind of missing out on that a little bit. So. We can print what they're doing online, but it doesn't always give us all of the indicators that we were getting before on paper. So that can be a little bit of a challenge. And I think just being really open and honest with the students is something that has really helped me in general, especially third graders coming in with a limited technology base. 
And for example, today we were doing a new lesson with the new technology and the students, one of them seemed to shut down a little and I said, hey, is this not working for you? Just being honest with me and them telling me, hey, I'd rather do it this way. And just being flexible with each other, I think has really made a huge difference. And a lot of times I'll start a lesson by saying, we're going to do something new today, but let me know at the end how it goes and what you think. If you don't want to do it this way again, we'll restructure our lessons. And having that conversation afterwards, I think really builds their trust in me and it helps me to see what ways help them learn better as well. So just having that communication back and forth has really been key for us. So it sounds like, like a lot of the success comes from when you create relationships and build bridges with students who might not actually be there to see you. Um, Absolutely. Thank you. Mrs. Lear, being in the fifth grade and hearing what Mrs. Pizzino has spoken about with the relationships and the bridges that occur that she's working on in third grade, um, specifically in fifth grade, the students are a little older. They're starting to get more towards, you know, the middle school mindset, the independence, you know, the little more difficult behavior and challenges. How do you go about building those relationships to, you know, ensure that you get the best success out of your students that you can? So working with fifth grade, um, having had a lot of these students for the past years, I'm lucky to have rapport with a bunch of them. So working with them this year, they know my expectations and we have a really good working relationship. However, there's some students that coming in uh, later in the school year, um, this school year, I really had to work on relationships, especially when I came back this school year, we were all virtual. So I really um, prioritized working with students in small groups, uh, working one-on-one -on -one with students, finding what they enjoyed working on, um, um, virtually, um, really working harder to find out what worked for them, um, kind of adapting the things that I would have used in the classroom. It, it was difficult not seeing their writing, not having them um, kind of write and do th things like that for me, but finding different technology modes uh, that they enjoyed working on and that I was able to use and kind of gauge their learning. Um, also, just having conversations with them, uh, pulling them in one-on-one -on -one after they did a really good job uh, during a lesson and giving them that positive feedback. I find that even though we are virtual, we could still build those relationships with students and have that rapport. And now uh, being in March, I really have built some really good rapport with students that have been virtual this whole time. So really enforcing that positive um, reinforcement to students and having conversations and making connections with them. You've talked about the connections with students. Um, Mrs. Garcia, how do, you, how do you make that connection with the parents? Very similar to the relationship she's talking about with the students, but how do you gain the trust of the parents? I mean, you guys are in their living room pretty much every day for the virtual kids. How does that trust factor come into it? Um, gaining that relationship with parents is huge. And thankfully I feel, especially because I, I've kind of had those situations where I was in the, in the classroom as a classroom teacher, and now I'm back as a reading specialist. I feel like now more than ever, parents are connected more. I know in the past I had a hard time sometimes reaching out or hearing back from parents or reaching out to them on Class Dojo, but most of our parents are connected to Dojo. And I think the biggest thing is being honest with parents and keeping them up to date. I know when students aren't logging on or missing work, 
we're notifying parents right away and we're you know letting the parents know this is what's going on we're here to help is there a time they can come back on just to let the parents know a we're keeping you in the loop we want to let you know everything that's going on while at the same time letting them know that we're here to help every step of the way because it is such an uncertain time for everybody well this is a wonderful time to take a break from the discussion and uh, go to uh, some announcements so uh, you are listening to leadership matters on WNTI.org and we will be right back. And welcome back to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. I'm Tim Fredericks, uh, the host of Leadership Matters, along with my co-host Fran Gavin. And this evening, our doctoral student curator, uh, Ed Labach from Fulsburg and his very, very special guest. So Ed, carry on. As we continue to talk about learning virtually and hybrid in the pandemic, it's important to kind of switch gears and now kind of focus on what we've learned and where um, this is gonna take us and shape us as a district for a learning experience. Dr. Kehoe, after one year basically in a pandemic, in a virtual learning, a hybrid model, what could you say that you've taken away from this experience and how is this gonna shape the Phillipsburg School District moving forward? I think having gone through this with the district, I think it takes everyone working together in order to accomplish what we have. Um, I, I, Nobody could do it without that. Anybody dependent on everybody within the district, whether it's from the custodians through, you know, Greg, our superintendent, through the teachers, the students, the parents. Um, I think that was very important uh, in order to have that support to do what we've done the past year. Uh, looking into next year, um, depending on, you know, what the state is saying, whether everybody's back in person or whether there's still a virtual option, uh, some of the things we need to do prior to the school year is to kind of see where our students are ending the school year. Um, we are right now working on uh, looking where the learning loss has been, what standards may not have been mastered that need to be incorporated into the next grade level. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of vertical articulation taking place so that the next grade level can ensure that the major standards that were needed in order for the students to be successful moving forward are now integrated in that. Um, many of you know that when you're teach, like we all have things that we're passionate about when we teach, and sometimes we're going to have to let some of those things go in order to, um, you know, focus on the work that needs to be done in order to uh, move our students towards grade level or you know help them reach grade level. Uh, some of the things we're going to do besides the curricular work in the vertical articulation is we're looking at summer academies, um, having students. I target some students to come in and uh, do some work on the interventions through the summer, um, probably in the fall, looking at after-school tutoring uh, to help these students. Um, we've gotten, we were fortunate to have gotten a lot of money from the federal government and the state in order to be able to do some of these things. So there's some of the things that we're looking to do moving forward. Mrs. Lear, when you look at your experience over the past year of virtual learning, how do you anticipate that changing the way you provide reading interventions? Um, will there be some strategies that you like that you use virtually that you may bring back when, you know, maybe when times return to full brick and mortar and full, you know, back to whatever normalcy is at this point? Do you see yourself using any of those strategies um, as you continue on your educational career? 
Yeah, well, a lot of the parts of in-person reading interventions that I'm looking forward to getting back to, um, you know, having the students sit in front of me at my reading table and having them read a level text and, and having them manipulate magnetic letters. Those are just some of the things that I'm missing and really looking forward to getting back. Um, I also miss having students, you know, sitting in front of me and quietly reading one-on-one -on -one with them and really being able to monitor their and their reading behaviors and assess their reading behaviors. But reflecting on years prior of my teaching before this pandemic, I think I was more apprehensive when using technology in my lessons. I would use um, Active Inspire, Raz Kids, different things like Brain Pop, but I was kind of nervous about sending out work to students on Google Classroom. It wasn't something that I felt comfortable um, doing, reflecting on myself. So I think one positive that's come out of this school year for me is that I've really grown to be confident in using various technology tools with my students. I've made different Jamboards, Pear Deck slides, Google Forms, Google Slides. I really just have dived right into the technology world. Anything to get my students engaged and working with um, the text and reading and writing. So because I have this new confidence and knowledge of integrating technology into my lessons, I think I'm gonna be able to use this while teaching interventions moving forward in order to make my lessons more interactive for kids. Um, I think these technology tools would be great to use to switch things up for my students, especially fifth graders. Um, I think I would use them in order to reteach a skill that I might've just touched upon in my small group. Maybe they could complete a drag and drop activity or read a short text on Cami or Jamboard and highlight. Um, I can have my students reread a text uh, with me that I, they read with me in a small group and complete some sort of Pear Deck activity to review a book. So by using a combination of in-person strategies that I have used and I do really miss and the new technology tools that I now have, I think this will motivate and engage my students more in their intervention work moving forward. Being in the fifth grade, and obviously Dr. Kehoe talked about the importance of vertical articulation and the planning across all the grade levels, you possess a unique challenge being with the fifth graders and preparing them for middle school where the schedule changes, you know, the dynamic changes, they're no longer in the same classroom all day long with the same teachers, and they may not have an opportunity to build the same relationships that you as elementary school teachers are able to build. What kind of, what are the biggest challenges, Mrs. Lear, that you foresee your fifth grade students as they move on to middle school into that different environment? So this year is a little bit different, even more so than previous school years. Previous school years, we had our fifth grade um, teachers teaching all subject areas. This school year, we departmentalize. So some of our teachers are teaching language arts and social studies, some are teaching math and science. Um, so during this school year, students were able to switch classes to prepare them to get to the middle school. Um, students have been primarily working virtually and students that have been doing this most of the school year have not had this experience of switching classes like other fifth grade students that we have in hybrid model right now. So once they start back in person and have to go from class to class in the middle school, I think this will be difficult for them to do. Making sure that they have all of their materials that they need for each class, working with multiple teachers in various subject areas, and being organized with their assignments in different classes are some of the challenges that I foresee the students have. Um, I also think another challenge for my fifth graders moving up might be um, they're gonna be returning from virtual learning next school year and they're coming back to 
a school that might not be familiar to them, with teachers that they're not familiar with, and a staff that's different from the staff that they've known at Oldsburg Elementary School. They're gonna be entering into another school with even more new things added to their plate on top of the changes that they've had to adapt to this school year. Uh, the positive is I know that students adapt quickly, so I know that they will adapt and be great with the change. However, I think this could be a hurdle for them going into the middle school. Thank you. Mrs. Pizzino, when you look at your third graders and then you have to compare that to the second grade group coming in this is a group of kids where a group of students that you could have possibly been virtual for an entire year and a half that you know you talk about your phonemic awareness and the pronunciation and the keys and cues that you have to work for what strategies tricks and takeaways are you going to take from this year in order to better benefit you when you have to work with you know the new group of second grade students who may not have been in a classroom in a year and a half. Sure. So first of all, I think the most important thing is that we always have an open mind, especially when they're coming from a different school, to kind of know that there are going to be some gaps. I mean, we've seen that already this year, especially in third grade. But just knowing and welcoming that fact into your head and, and knowing that, yeah, we might have to work a little harder. We're going to have to change what we're doing and that's okay because we need to meet them where they're starting. And just also this year is the first year that I've ever used iRead, which is a different intervention that they are using at the primary school. So meeting the needs of our lowest learners and finding that extra intervention to kind of bridge that gap for interventions that we have that weren't working and even incorporating different interventions to really narrow down what each student needs. So I think just being open to doing a lot of differentiation is really going to be the key to us moving forward with those students. Thank you. Dr. Kehoe, previously you talked about the vertical articulation and obviously with a larger school district, you have multiple curriculum directors. You have your K to five directors, you have your six through 12 directors. You know, as a, as a leader in the district and being in charge of the directors and the curriculum, how do you go about ensuring that the directors are all on the same page and the gaps in the curriculum that occurred? You know, we have a lot of wide range of curriculum and, Take us through some of the meetings that you have with those curriculum directors and where do you stress and focus the importance of the information that they're gathering in order to better assist our teachers like Mary Kate, Kristen, and Aubrey? I think we're fortunate that the directors that I do work with truly, um, number one, get along, they respect one another. Um, there's not any blame from like our secondary directors blame the elementary and that. Um, so in our directors meetings, we really focus on the data. What's the data telling us? Uh, what information do we have that we can share with the, um, you know, the directors who are our ELA directors in the middle, our secondary ELA director, you know, meeting with our um elementary director to kind of compare notes, what do we need moving forward in that. Um, one of the things at the high school level, which is a little bit um, daunting, is that not only do you have the director having to 
go from eighth to ninth grade with the middle school to the high school teachers, but you also have the sending districts that come in there. So we actually meet with the teachers of the eighth grade teachers of the sending districts to uh, get information from them, let them know what we're doing, where their gaps would be so that we have a total picture of what our students coming from the different grade levels have going in either to the high school, from the middle school to the high school, from the elementary to the middle school, from and from the different schools. Like we have five different schools where there's, there's transitions, which is a lot for students. Um, so in our director meetings, we focus on what the standards are saying, you know, what is the state requiring because the state always puts out uh, information to us that we need to adhere to. Um, you know, one of the things we're looking at right now, are we gonna have a state assessment? Or aren't we gonna have a state assessment? And if we don't do one in the spring, is the state going to do one in the fall? Um, the state is actually collecting a spring data collection of all literacy and math data. Um, and kind of looking at that data, I think we have a lot of work to do moving forward. But, um, you know, everybody works together, which I think is, is key. Um, in moving our district forward as far as our literacy and math initiatives. Thank you. Mrs. Garcia, when, when you hear Dr. Kehoe talk about data, can you take me through, um, do you think as a teacher now that you're be, you have the ability to accumulate more data, less data, and how that data you know, assists in shaping your classroom, your daily routine, and obviously collaboration with your two or three other reading specialists that you know we have here with us today i think in our situation we are still collecting the same amount of data in the very beginning of the year when we started virtual sure that was kind of an issue where we felt a little panicked like okay how, how are we going to do this a lot of you know things that we had done with students in person to collect some really valuable data we were trying to figure out how can we do that virtually. So with creativity and with our amazing colleagues, because you learn best from the people that you work with, everyone just brought amazing ideas to the table for how we can continue to collect this pertinent data in a virtual learning environment. So in terms of that, I feel like we are collecting similar data. We're just maybe going about different ways uh, to collect it. But we know how important it is to have this information on each individual student because that really does affect where we go moving forward in our lessons. So just to kind of speak about our interventions, collecting data from our intervention pieces is huge because it lets us know what areas, specifically with System 44, that's one of the key interventions I'm working on with my students right now, it lets us know which phonics areas students need more assistance with one-on-one -on -one versus which areas they're excelling at and they can continue moving forward. So by collecting this data, which thankfully students are going on to an online program. So there wasn't much creativity there in the sense that we had to figure out how to collect the data. Kids are able to log on to this software at home and online. Um, so when we pull up those reports, looking at that data, my classroom teachers and myself each week can sit down and say, okay, after this week, which areas are specific kids failing in? Where do we need to um, work on with individual students? And then that allows us for the next week to schedule these one-on-one -on -one sessions where we can really spend a good 25 to 30 minutes with each individual student just to reteach those certain areas they were failing on with the software. 
Um, so thankfully, that hasn't really changed much since it is such a critical piece in how we drive our instruction from week to week. Mrs. Lear, with so many students receiving interventions throughout third, fourth, and fifth grade, how do you how do you sit through that? How do you decipher that? And how do you make those final decisions on, you know, when you think the student has reached that point where maybe they no longer need that intervention anymore? Well, going off of what uh, Kristen just was talking about, we really are up on our data collection. I think more so now through virtual learning than ever before. We're always data collectors, but we have to be more creative, like Mrs. Garcia said, in tracking the data. Um, myself, in working with my fifth graders, I'm constantly writing down notes on their reading behaviors. Um, I'm constantly giving them running records. Um, I'm constantly um, documenting what skills are you still having difficulty with so that I'm going back and reviewing that data. Um, I know that they don't need an, um, an intervention based on working with them and the data that I'm collecting, looking at their reading levels, looking on at how in my grade level we use Read 180, how they're doing on Read 180. Are they getting the scores that they need? When I do a running record with them, how's their reading fluency? When I ask them general questions about the text, are they doing well with the questions? Do I need to go back and reteach uh, different skills in different ways? So even though we are virtual, we are still collecting that data, analyzing that data, and trying to find interventions that students need, what best fits for them. And if they don't need an intervention, we're gauging that as well. So to answer the question, reviewing the data, basically. Thank you. Mrs. Pazina, can you just provide the parents at home that are listening what you think one of the biggest takeaways they could take from this to help their students better perform with their reading skills? Of course, and as reading specialists, the biggest thing that we preach is just reading at home is a huge deal. Having your students at home see you reading and actually encouraging a love of reading. And once they have that instilled, it's really amazing how they take off. If they can find a series that they love, if they find a topic that they love reading about, but also just being great cheerleaders for their children at home. I know we are constantly praising parents for their involvement. Thank you for helping your child and being involved. That's a huge barrier that we've overcome this year for a lot of our students. And just being active in their children's education and being active readers, I think, make a huge difference at home. Well, this has been a, a wonderful hour of discussion, and we could probably go on, but uh, unfortunately, we have run out of time. Uh, Ed, uh, Dr. Kehoe, Katie, Kristen, Aubrey, wonderful guests and wonderful things happening in the Phillipsburg School District. Thank you to all of you this evening. You've been listening to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. Thank you.